Awesome, let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for the great privilege and great joy in being able to come together and worship You this morning. Thank You that we could share in the baptisms of Nick and James and thank You that what it shows us is that You've been working in their lives, but not only in their lives, You are working in our lives. You are working in Your church and now as we open Your Word, we know that You want to speak to us, You want to grow us, You want to change us and You want to do it for Your glory and for Your kingdom. So we pray that You would speak now. You would speak powerfully through Your Word in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat, guys. It's great to be here this morning. Absolute joy and privilege. Thank you, Beck and team, for leading us. And uh, nothing better than a baptism service, I reckon. Who, who agrees with me? Fantastic. Uh, I've got to say, um, I saw these guys standing up here. And before uh, Nick shared his testimony, then James shared his testimony, out of all of the verses in Scripture... Before you shared your testimony, God put a scripture in my heart and said, when I stand up, that I should share this verse of scripture. It was Romans 12, (laughs) verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to know uh, what God's will is and how to discern His will, His his pure and perfect will. There you go, that's a paraphrase. But uh, um, I just thought to myself, I saw these guys, this is what we need. We need young men of faith who will not conform to the pattern of this world. Because the pattern of this world, we need young women of faith. And we need middle-aged men and women of faith. And we need people who are in retirement age. And we need people of all ages who do not conform to the pattern of this world. Because the pattern of this world for young people is saying, do this, live for for yourself or, or, or follow this path. And it's often a path of destruction. Or or, uh, even if it leads to material wealth or whatever, it's a path of selfishness. But actually Jesus wants to lead us into a path where He is Lord, where we live for a greater purpose than ourselves or the things of this world. And so this morning's message is really about, it's so vital and it speaks really in response to the how-to of that. Uh, Because as we're talking about discipleship, the question this morning is, well, who makes disciples? Who makes disciples? And it's a very simple question, and to some extent, it's got a pretty simple answer. Uh, I'll draw it out a little bit uh, to, so you get your money's worth. Um, but, uh, but it's a simple question with a simple answer, but it is a, it is a profoundly important question. Because if we get wrong the, the answer to the question, who makes disciples, we, uh, we miss something so important. And the church will never be what the church is meant to be. We'll never be who we're meant to be as believers and as a community. So let me uh, first recap. Uh, We learned through repetition. So I want to go back over this series because I think this series that we're starting the year with, which is a series called Get On Board, and it's about how we build a discipleship culture in our church. So I want to recap the first three weeks of that series, and then I'm bringing the, the, the fourth message, and then next week, uh, Robin will speak on uh, how do we make disciples. So the series started, I think Dave preached on vision and mission. Reminded us of the fact that as a church we have a vision and we have a mission. And if we don't have that, we're in trouble. Because as the scripture says, without vision, the people perish. But vision sets a direction, it sets a course, it gives us a focus. So our vision as a church 
is to see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed. And that's just not like a cliche or a few words. That shapes what we do. As leaders, when we meet together, we're saying, does this, does this right now, does what we've just shared in, does what happens in groups tomorrow and the next day in events and ministries, is all of that working to see Jesus glorified? Is it actually serving to see lives getting transformed in the belief that we have a God who wants to heal people, mend brokenness and transform lives? And then is it about us as a church revealing the hope of the good news of Jesus? If it's not about that, then we shouldn't be about that. If it is about that, we should be about that. Under the vision, we have a mission as a church. The mission is essentially what we need to do to work towards achieving the vision. And so our mission is essentially around discipleship, to grow and equip uh, passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. And so uh, under that uh, first message, we've been looking at four questions over four weeks. First one was, what is a disciple? Uh, The next one was, uh, why make disciples? This morning I'm talking about who makes disciples, and, and as I said, next week is, how do we make disciples? And so if I recap on that message, uh, I preached on what is a disciple. I'll test your memory here. I, I, I put out three words. What is a disciple? Disciples, first of all, a follower. Awesome. Then a disciple is a learner. And then a disciple is a branch. Awesome. What a congregation. Uh, a bratch. That's right. I have my slide wrong. I had a, I had a bratch, not a branch. Thanks, Dave, for highlighting that. Yeah. So uh, a follower. We, uh, a disciple is someone who chooses to follow the teaching and the way of Jesus in every area of their life. Disciple is a learner. It's about putting on the L plates and saying, no, no matter how long we've been a Christian for, if that's 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you approach each day, each week, and you start each year believing that you've still got more to learn, that God wants to teach you something. So you humble yourself. No, don't say, oh, I've got it all figured out, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in charge, I've, I've got it all worked out. You say, no, I'm, I'm here to learn. I'm here to learn just as much as, uh, as the next person. And it's about being a branch, which is about being deeply connected to Jesus. He is the vine, we are the branches. Uh, when we are in Him and He is in us, we will bear much fruit. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Then we talked about why make disciples. I didn't preach that one. And, uh, and I missed that one, so I'm going to have to... But the reasons I think we should make disciples is, first of all, God, Jesus commanded it. That's always a pretty good reason to go and do something. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we should make disciples because uh, when we become... When we get saved, when we make a commitment to follow Jesus, we are saved and we're rescued and we are secure, but we are not... Uh, hugely like Jesus and there is a whole journey to become Christ-like, to become godly and to become increasingly uh, like him and so discipleship is that journey of becoming more and more like Jesus and finally that we're on a mission. We're on a mission and uh, God has chosen to involve us in that mission so we need to be trained and equipped so that we are ready to serve God in the way that he would want us to. So that's the first couple of questions Today's question, who makes disciples? 
Who makes disciples? It's a pretty simple question and it's got a pretty simple answer. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have, uh, normally it's a three-point sermon. Today's a two-point sermon, okay? So the first po- po- point I want to talk about, I'm going to start with a story. And I thought I'd start by sharing with you who discipled me. That was interesting for me this week. I thought, well, who actually discipled me? It's an interesting question for you to reflect on uh, this week uh, after you've heard this message. But uh, who discipled me? For me, that started the, the, the people that started the process of discipleship in my life was actually my parents. I had that privilege, as many of you have had, to be raised in a family that uh, were followers of Jesus, were Christians. And so for us, that commitment expressed itself most clearly in the fact that every Sunday morning, we were in church without fail. Didn't matter what had happened on Saturday night. Didn't matter whether we had a busy Sunday. Uh, Mum and dad might have been out, uh, you know, partying on a Saturday night, (laughs) something like that. Um, We were in church on Sunday. There was a sense where it was like, uh, you know, when when I became a bit older in life, I remember I was into playing sports and there was that dilemma of some sports that happened on a Sunday and, and maybe there was a Sunday or two when I didn't but there was always this sense of this is an issue because our priority is that in Sunday morning we want to be in church growing and it was almost like that verse as for me and my house we're going to serve the Lord decisions been made and that was modeled to me that actually this is a priority this is of high value and we are committed to being part of a church family. The second part of the discipleship from my parents, I think, came from role modeling. So my mum for many years was the, was the Sunday school coordinator. Dad throughout the years served in many ways in the church and in community groups. So what they modeled was not only attending but serving. Not only attending but serving. And um, I'm so thankful for for what was modelled. Do you know that if you're a parent, um, what you believe is important. What you say uh, is important. But what you model matters most. You can say all sorts of things, but what you model matters most. And I've got to say this, that uh, there's all sorts of influences on our children today. Some of them good, many of them not good. Do you know that parents remain the greatest influence on children today? And even if you're, you're a teenager, if you're a parent of a teenager and your teenager seems to be saying like pretty much whatever you do, I, I want to do the opposite. You know what? They're still, they're still watching and learning. And you will be the greatest influence on your children's life. You can't make them become followers of Jesus. They will make their own choice. But you can model things to them that will have a lasting impact on them. So I want to, I want to affirm uh, my parents and it just so happens they're in the house this morning so uh, yeah thank you mum and dad uh, not often are they here to hear me preach but this morning they are and there you go so thank you good job job well done I turned out okay you know not perfect but I turned out okay you think so very good I won't give you the microphone mum or you'll take over The next people that had an influence on me, Sunday school teachers, Sunday school teachers. So many of the verses of scripture that I know by heart today was verses of scripture I learned in Sunday school. 
So many of the stories that just became part of my knowledge bank about Jesus and about, you know, all this kind of stuff and the Old Testament stories. So many of those stories, the foundation of knowing those stories was my Sunday school teachers. Then it became my youth group leaders. Youth group leaders and I went to this youth group run by a couple in Clare in this big old house and we'd sit in this big old lounge room around a fireplace and we'd sit on the floor and, you know, they spoke into my life. In fact, I still remember the day. Just as funny how you remember one thing that someone says to you. I was probably 13 years of age and I read out the Bible in the Bible study and one of the youth group leaders said, do you know, Mark, you have a real gift for reading the Bible. <laughs> you do that really well. And that stuck with me, though. I was like, wow. You know, that, I've been affirmed in something. Just one word of encouragement given to a 12-year-old can have a powerful impact. Um, youth group leaders uh, and Sunday school leaders, they, you know, faithfully taught me. Camp leaders... Easter camps I went to as a, as a, in my mid to, to late teens, went along, people who are serving faithfully, giving their time, giving their weekends to make things happen so that young people can come along and be discipled. And also peers on Easter camp, you know, others who was like, I'd go along and I'd discover, wow, they're actually singing along and worshipping God and they've actually got a real faith and I'm still figuring it out. They were a great witness to me. Now, out of that, I want to highlight four things. That's kind of the key people that discipled me, naught to 16. And I want to highlight four things before I get into the actual scripture. Firstly, I want to note that it involved many people. My discipleship involved many people. They say it takes a village to raise a child, but I want to tell you it takes a church to make a disciple. It takes a church to make a disciple. Secondly, I don't know if you noticed this, but all the significant people that I've named up to the age of 16 in leading me to be a disciple of Jesus, I have not named a pastor. No pastor was that important to me in my first 16 years. <laughs> Pastors have a highly overrated place. <laughs> Certainly in my childhood and teenage years, that would be true. No pastor featured on the list. In fact, no paid person featured on my list of people who discipled me. It was all people who were giving their time as volunteers, serving God in various ways. Uh, that's the second thing I want to note. Thirdly, I want, I want to note that at the age of 16, at this point in my journey, having been discipled with all these by all these people, I had not yet made a decision to follow Jesus. Believed in God, knew the Bible stories, had some level of of belief in God and saying, but I'd never really given my life and said, I want this to be my commitment, that I commit my life to Jesus. So all these people have sowed into me and yet I have not yet made a decision. And you know, sometimes people think discipleship only is something that follows a decision of faith, but I want to suggest that we need to disciple people to faith as much as we need to disciple people from faith. We disciple people to, to faith as much as we disciple them from faith. Fourth thing I want to highlight is, and the last thing is that for all these people that invested in me up to this point, most of them didn't get to see me become a follower of Jesus and actually what followed that. 
Most of them didn't get to benefit any fruit from their investment. They invested and other people got to see the fruit and benefit from it down the track. And here's the thing about that. If you're a discipler, particularly if you're discipling children or youth, you might sow into the lives of young people and you wonder, is this making any difference whatsoever? Let me tell you, the investment that you make, if you sow seeds for the gospel, God will not let that go to waste. And he will bear fruit out of it. And you may not be the one that sees it. And this church may not be the one that benefits from it. And that doesn't matter. It's all about a broader kingdom perspective. So what do we conclude out of my story? Who makes disciples? Well, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i get on to God in a minute. But the first answer to that is we all do. We all do. And I guess the point I want to make is it's not up to a couple of elite or trained people in the church to make disciples. It is the job of every single person in the church. And, and if we miss that, we will not have the kind of church that God desires us to be. Everyone makes disciples. Let's have a look at a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this. Uh, have we got that up on the screen? Yeah, fantastic. As you come to him... The living stone, it's talking about Jesus, the solid rock. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to drop down to verse 9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, we look at that passage, it's full of all these kind of big lofty phrases like a royal priesthood and uh, being made into a spiritual house and offering spiritual sacrifices. It's pretty lofty and, and wordy sort of language. To understand this, we need to understand the context into which 1 Peter is speaking, right? He speaks into the time in history when for the Israelites, the temple still stands and the priests are in the temple making their sacrifices. And, the, and really the ones who are doing the ministry, when the people go up to the temple, it's the priest. You go to the priest and the priest acts as an intermediary, intermediary between people and God, okay? And there's, it's very well divided and structured the temple is divided into all these different courts so there's the court of the gentiles which only gentiles there's court of women there's a court of the israelites then there's the into the actual um, sanctuary part where the priests do the offerings and sacrifices and then right in the very middle is the holiest of holy places this small room where the very presence of god is meant to dwell and and people can go certain closeness based on their level of holiness and the priests you know you don't just walk into the sanctuary and start making an offering a priest has got to do that for you so there's very much this sense that the priests are there to do the ministry and we go along so the priests do the ministry and we sort of make our offering and but we're sort of watch them as they then go and do do the official ceremonies okay track with me here so no one would, and the priests were from a particular uh, tribe and, and group. So the average Israelite would never think, 
you know, I'm a priest or I could be a priest or anything like that. You're born into that, into that tribe. So what Peter says here, when the people first heard it, we just read that and go, we're a royal priesthood. Okay, that's okay. For the, for the people that received this letter from Peter, when they read this and they read, you are priests, you are a royal priesthood, they would be going, what? We are not, really, what's going on here? Something has radically changed. And so they might have gone right back to the start of 1 Peter and says, well, who's the you this is referring to? And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then he explains again who they are. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Which is to say, he's referring to all Christians everywhere. And he's saying to them that something has radically changed through the blood of Jesus and what he has done for us that has changed this whole idea of these special people are priests and the rest of you aren't. These people do ministry and you don't. Because the whole thing around the temple was an issue of holiness. People had to be separated from the presence of God because the sinful people are not going to enter the holiness of God. It's not going to end well. But now, you know, Jesus, when he dies, the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. God reaches out and goes, bang, it's changed. The blood of Jesus has covered our sin. It has made us holy and something has profoundly changed in terms of our identity and our role. No longer do we need a special group of set-apart holy people to be the priests. Now we are, you are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people. You are a people belonging to God that you might declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness and into his light. It's not just me or a trained group of people who are the priests we are a royal priesthood together, which means all of us have gifts. All of us have a part to play. Now, what's interesting is when the church was born, you see in the early church this total shift. They're now meeting around the table. They're now ministering to one another. Uh, one of my favorite little stories is, um, I love the pictures in Acts of the early church. In Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and John have been before their the, the ruling body, the Sanhedrin, and then they get released. And it says in uh, John chapter 4, verse um, uh, 23, it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. It says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And um, they, they pray their prayer, and it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And we have this situation where they're all praying, where they're all filled, where they're all speaking the word of God boldly. And, uh, and, and God is uh, blessing all of them and speaking and working through all of them. Now what's happening in the church is the church starts out this way. But after a while, I, I, uh, it's kind of something in the human heart. It's almost like we slowly reverted back to the priestly model. 
It's like, well, now we need some special people to put on robes and be priests again. And the front of the church becomes a sanctuary where only, you know, it's almost as though God's presence dwells and so only the holy priest can enter this part of the church. It's actually tracking back to the Old Testament, which is what God actually broke apart. Now, I'm not trying to crush another denomination or anything like that. Just trying to explain the scripture. Um, so this happened over time and, and it got more and more the case. So by the time of the Reformation, I'm tracking back through some church history here. Stay with me. History can be exciting. Um, by the time of the Reformation, only priests would ever be allowed to touch a Bible. Only priests, in fact, were able to read the Bible because it was in Latin and no one else knew Latin. So you get this crazy situation where again the priests are doing the ministry and the people are sitting back. And the church needs to constantly push against this mindset so we know that while, yes, here the apostles in, in Acts 4 have a particular role of teaching and while we have pastors, etc., and that's okay, we are together in the ministry of being a priesthood of all believers. Amen? Amen? Amen. So that's point one. But we, if we... Uh, start thinking about who makes disciples and we just imagine that it's us, we miss a deeper truth and the ultimate understanding of who makes disciples because the, the biggest and truest and most correct answer of who makes disciples is God actually makes disciples. God makes disciples. And God works through people, but it's God who is the ultimate disciple maker. Uh, let's have a, a look at another passage from 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 3, verse 1 to 8. Um, now, when you, this passage comes up, uh, it's a bit of an interesting one. I don't know, do you have that one or not? Yep, excellent. The context of this is Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and to be honest, the first four or five verses, you need them to understand the rest of the verses, but uh, Paul's basically... Um, critiquing the church that he planted and uh, having a few harsh words to say to them. But uh, he says in this passage, he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. It's a pretty hard word. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? And then we get into the bit I want to focus on. He says, for one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? What after all, here's the key, key bit. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Who is the ultimate discipler? It is God. Who is the one who makes things grow? God is the one who makes things grow. A couple of years ago, um, I was uh, in Indonesia, we did a trip to Hohidiai and, and Nick was on that trip and um, in Hohidiai um, there's sort of a room where the team gets to hang out, it's kind of like the space where you can go and chill, it's also the school library, it's also the storage room, the admin office, it's a number of things and it's about four metres by four metres 
Um, and in, there was a coffee table in that room. And on that coffee table was one of those uh, colouring in books. You know, like the new cool colouring in books that are really um, difficult and they've got thousands of little bits. You know the ones? And um, so that was in there. Now, in Australia, the way we do ownership is if it's your book, you do the colouring in. But in Indonesia, they have a different approach. If it's someone's book, then everyone gets to colour in. Everyone joins in. Everything's shared. Totally different philosophy. You would never think that, you'd never think that it's yours, so no one should just come and randomly add to it. So what we observed, it was a really interesting picture, was that over the course of the time we were there, any time someone came into that room, the kids came in, they'd just sit down and they'd just start adding to the colouring in. One kid would come in and do a bit, then someone else would contribute a bit more, then someone else would contribute a bit more, till eventually the picture began to look beautiful. And in a sense, that's an illustration of how we grow and develop as Christians. That picture was always, the design was always there. The people who contributed never set the design. The design was there. It was planned. The pattern was set. But then lots of other people played a part in seeing that picture achieve its potential and become beautiful. Scripture says we are God's workmanship. Scripture says we are God's design. And He has planned us and He has shaped us. But then what happens is in discipleship, God uses lots of people by His Spirit. He speaks through people and His Word so that the colouring in, the design, slowly gets added to and gets built and developed until we come out looking beautiful. In this, uh, in this scripture, um, people are getting caught up with this idea of, well, I'm a follower of Paul, you know, Paul's the one I'm following, and someone else is saying, you know, Apollos is the one, and, and some are giving the credit, you know, it's, Paul's the one who's led me to be mature in faith, and oh no, well for me it's Apollos, and, we'll, and Paul's comes, Paul comes along and says, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not about us at all. We're not making you grow. God is the one who's making you grow. And we've got to constantly see that behind the story, it's the fingerprints of God at work. And God has a plan for us from before we're born, probably before creation, that He wants to see us develop and grow. And it's His plan and it's His pattern. And then He works through people to achieve that. When I look at my story, uh, lots of people involved in that. But ultimately, what I can see without a doubt is the work of God. It was God weaving it all together. It was God shaping things. It was God bringing people into my lives. So while I give thanks to the people who invested into my life, I give the praise and the glory 100% to God for the work He did. So... What does a dynamic, healthy church look like? Well, if I was to grab a, a bit of a ball of wool, uh, a, a giant ball of wool, and I was to draw the way discipleship happens, for 30 minutes of the week, it looks like this. I'm holding the ball of wool or lots of balls of wool or something like that, and there's, there's, there's wool going out to all of you, right? It's coming from me, and it's going in one direction. Right now... I'm teaching, you guys are receiving. But that's only for 30 minutes of the week. For the rest of the time, it doesn't look like that at all. 
For the rest of the time, there's a link between this person here and that person there. That happens when a word of encouragement gets spoken after church. And there's a link between someone sitting in the back row there and someone in the front row here because they have a conversation and they share about what God's doing in their life. And just sharing about that creates a link and discipleship happens. And there's lots of little links happening over the in the minute right now in the Sunday school as different adults are teaching kids, but even as kids are hanging out together and sharing. And so what happens is there's this web of links, of a network of uh, something being drawn up. And then if, you, you know, if, if I'm going to be sort of uh, beautiful, we could look at that and it becomes a beautiful picture of what God is doing. A network of links that God uses to build each person. And that is discipleship. If we miss this, our church will never be a dynamic, growing, thriving, healthy, Jesus-honoring church. But if we gather this, if every single person says, I've got something to give, you might be a new Christian, you might be a retired person, an elderly person, you might be an outgoing person, you might be a very quiet person, you might be whatever. You have a part to play in the discipleship of other people. If you will speak, if you will encourage, if you will share your faith, if you will ask people a question, God will use all of it and he will build his church and he will grow us into the image and likeness of Jesus for the glory of God. We are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen people. We are a holy nation that together we might declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness and into his glorious light. Once we were not the people of God, but now we are the people of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we just, uh, we just thank you. What a thing. That we're not bystanders. We're not just observers. We're not just receivers. But despite our flaws and limitations, Despite my flaws and limitations, you have called all of us into this glorious calling to be part of building your church and building your kingdom as you work through us by your power, by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the privilege of joining in, participating in what you are doing. Thank you that discipleship is not about asking you to get on board with what we're doing, but, but, but looking to get on board with what you are doing in the knowledge that you are at work building your church. Thank you for this privilege. And I pray that every single person who's part of this church will step into their calling and be a disciple maker. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.